Hi, good morning, and welcome to Small Town Big Business, a podcast about doing big business in a small town. I'm Jennifer Olson, and I'm the Director of Business Development for the City of Marion, and I'm here with my co-host. Yeah, I'm Russ Williams. I'm Director of Ethos. (laughs) Ethos is a small business incubator, co-working spaces, training, and development here in downtown Marion, Illinois. In fact, you're joining us at the Citadel Building, 140. Eight years, I think 108 years old building here in downtown on Tower Square Plaza. And I want to thank you for joining us for Small Town Big Business and also thank our sponsors for sponsoring us. And that includes Arcadia Wealth Group, Black Diamond Harley-Davidson and RV, the Watermark Auto Group Foundation, Fowler Heating and Cooling, Swinford Media Group, and also our producers at Union Street Arts. Awesome. And so for our listeners, you can find us uh, at Small Town Big Business on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You can also find us on Facebook. And if you want to match voice to uh, face, you can see us on YouTube. Please don't. Just kidding. (laughs) And if you're new to our podcast, we interview successful business people that have made great businesses in small towns across the United States, especially here in Marion, Illinois. In fact, our guests here today are have a brand new business in downtown Marion, Illinois. I was kidding that you guys didn't walk very far <laughs> to come over to us, but Derek and Libby Irvin, and you're from Glacier's End. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks today. for having us. Yeah. And not entirely new, new to mm-hmm. brick and mortar storefront, right. but maybe you could tell us kind of your journey. Yeah, so um, Derek is originally from Southern Illinois, from Heron, Um, moved to Chicago to kind of pursue a a rock star dream and be in a band. Um, I'm from Southern Indiana, moved to Chicago to kind of just get out of a a small town. Uh, We met in Chicago, got married, and just trying to figure out what we were going to do, decided we wanted to maybe get out of the city and we had an opportunity to move down here to uh, take over his grandfather's farm. Cool. And what instrument do you play? Um, I like to think I play all of them. Oh, um, yeah? yeah, I play uh, multiple instruments. Okay. Um, started off with drumming. Yeah, I started off very, very young as a drummer and then kind of picked everything else up as I went through. Um, you know, I don't play a lot of woodwinds or anything like that, but most yeah. of the stringed instruments and uh, I Dabble around with the keys a little cool. bit, mainly synthesizers. What's well, the name of some of the bands that you've been in? Uh, Lee and Will Be uh, is one that you can find on most of the like Spotify and cool um, and Apple. Um, I, I mean, there's literally probably a list of twenty or so over the years. Um, La Makita Soma was a band in Carbondale in Chicago that I was in, uh, so quite a few. Okay, great. Awesome. So you say farm, and I grew up on a farm, but are we talking row crop, specialty livestock? Like when when you're invited to come back home and take this over, what does it look like? So uh, we're a specialty crop farm, and we specialize in um, value-added products. So um, I always say I've never sold a cucumber. I always sell a pickle. Mm. Um, so <laughs> that kind of gives you an idea of, of our philosophy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, we, when we first started thinking about coming here, every time I would come visit my grandfather, I would think like, this is just these rolling hills. I could just see an orchard out there someday, you know? Um, and eventually he said, Hey, you know, uh, you guys should come down here and 
you know, start making it your own, and we did, and uh, started exactly the first thing we did was put an orchard in. Our goal initially when we moved here was to become a cidery and do hard ciders. Um, we really liked some cider places in Chicago, not a whole lot of that around. Um, so we started that <clears throat> and really knew nothing about farming. So somebody put us in touch with FoodWorks that had a farm beginning program. So it not only teaches you kind of how to farm, but how to look at it as a business. Yeah. Um, so that was our, our first step. Talk more about FoodWorks because we just mentioned that we hosted mm-hmm. a conference uh, training that they did here at Ethos. Yeah. So, but so, I wasn't familiar with FoodWorks. Yeah, so they're, uh, it's out of Carbondale. Everybody works remotely, but we uh, serve the southernmost 23 counties in Illinois. Um, and it's really just to bring a sustainable food economy uh, to southern Illinois. So there's the Farm Beginnings program that we took that was about a six, eight-month-long pro- program, and then we had a mentor um, we also have, uh, we manage the winter farmers market, um, which I was the manager of that for a couple of years as well. Uh, we have a farming alliance network, um, just has field days and a good way to connect with other farmers. Okay. Um, and then my job there now, I'm the assistant director. Um, so I wear a few different hats, um, is I oversee food access. So, uh, specifically I run the Southern Illinois link hub. So we assist uh, eight farmers markets in Southern Illinois managing SNAP and Link. Okay. Um, and a really cool thing that we just did this past year is we brought SNAP and Link to the Marion Market, okay. which is one of the first markets we ever started in. Um, and then the last thing FoodWorks does is we are uh, going to be having a mobile uh, community farmers market okay. um, that will travel around to different areas where there's food insecurity at. Okay. How would somebody contact FoodWorks if they were interested in those services? Uh, we have a website, fwsoil.org, um, or um, we're having an annual meeting on Sunday at Blue Sky Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's really just Very kind active. of a... It is, yeah. yeah. Um, and we just try to support farmers and small businesses and also just local lovers of food, too. Yeah. I, I love that work. I really do. Um, I don't think people always appreciate the financial burden that can come with people trying to make healthier choices and access fresh locally sourced food. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I don't think people always appreciate is that, you know, things like transportation can really layer on another um, barrier to getting that food. You know, somebody had commented on um, some sidewalks that the city put on down by the Boynton Street Community Center And, you know, you have to remind people that that area is somewhat of a food desert. And Mm -hmm. many people in that area, you know, they rely on primarily um, convenience store for sourcing things. And then um, if we can open the door to farmer's market, um, that does go a long way. Yeah. So just implementing SNAP and link at markets, you know makes food so much more accessible. Um, it brings in revenue to the market, to the farmers, to the vendors. It's also just a benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the mobile market, that's one thing that we're looking at, like you said, access to transportation. So if people can't come to markets, our thought is we're going to take the markets to them, you know, traveling around to different areas. Yeah. Uh, what year did you take over the farm? 2017. Yeah, 2017. We moved here the beginning okay. of 2017, and we took the Farm Beginnings Program, um, 
And then we did our first market, the Carbondale Winter Market, in 2018. Okay. And the farm's just outside Johnson City, Illinois. We're in Johnson City, kind of between Johnson okay. City and Pittsburgh. Right. Kind of just outside of Marion. Right. <laughs> I, think our, I think our neighbor is. Is the name Marion. of the farm Glacier's End also? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. How'd you come up with that name? Uh, I'm a kind of an amateur geology buff, mm-hmm. uh, rock hound, uh, and I've always been fascinated with the... The idea that uh, the glacier ended here in southern Illinois, the Illinois glacier did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that created the interesting geology that we have. It created a lot of the interesting diversity uh, in the plant life that we have because that was kind of like the last bastion of the plant life north for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I've just always been fascinated with that. And I, I wanted something, or we, we wanted something uh, that kind of in the name that was it had a ring to it, but that would also kind of uh, take in consideration the surrounding area and mm-hmm. kind of have a connection to it. And that just kind of fit the bill. Great. And that's been one of our goals with the farm of kind of everything we do is tie it to, to our area about mm-hmm. local and using local ingredients. If we don't grow something, we source from local people. Um, so that's been one of our goals with the farm. Mm-hmm. A lot of our hot sauces and pepper jellies and stuff are named after old coal mines, mm. uh, especially around the Heron area uh, that I grew up in. But uh, and uh, so it's it's been pretty cool too. Yeah. So the names are great and the labels are just stunning. They're just beautiful. Um, I do want to step back to cottage food because honestly, your mm-hmm. cucumber to pickle is like so relatable and so simple and literally the best explanation um two things that i hear in the buzzwords and that we see in different grant opportunities that come and different publications we hear value added and we hear cottage foods um anything that you want to tell us about what those terms mean and um with the goal that maybe people hear those words, but they don't see the opportunity in the words, right? We want to show people what what exists. That was one of our first field days with FoodWorks was on cottage food. Um, when we took our farm beginnings class, we thought, you know, we're going to go into markets and have produce and cucumbers and all this great things and grow all these things that are not down here, you know, unique vegetables. Um, Well, we found out they're not down here for a reason. Um, But we, at that time, markets were very saturated with produce and vegetable vendors. And we were kind of told, you might not get in. So then we took this cottage food class and it was like, oh, we can process things, turn it into something else. And it has a longer shelf life. So that was very appealing to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were very fortunate in that right around that same time, the cottage food law changed. Uh, due to the work of the Stewardship Alliance uh, out of Springfield. Um, And it really revolutionized everything. Um, It went from, uh, I remember the first time I looked at the, I read the the law, uh, I was reading the old law. I didn't realize at the time that it had changed about a month prior to that. And, you know, it was, there was about four or five things that you could make. You know, you could make apple butter and jelly and, and that was pretty much it i mean and so um i was pretty discouraged starting the business i thought wow you know this this would be great if there was more to it and sure enough i i found out very shortly that the law had changed and then it shifted to more of there was about four or five things you couldn't make uh, and then there were parameters of which you could work in um and that really changed everything i i, I think people 
you know, think of cottage food as possibly, you know, oh, just, you know, something so, you know, a retiree could or your grandmother could make a few extra dollars and sell her pickles at the market. But it's really become a, a business incubator. Um, I think they're starting to see that since the changing of the law and the opening up of the rules a little bit, there are businesses popping up everywhere, and I, which I personally think is great uh, for these small rural areas and, and places that have had extraction economies over the years for years and years and years that that moved away, mm-hmm. you know, and there's these vacant downtowns and stuff. I think agriculture uh, and finding unique ideas to um, to kind of have an identity for these small towns and stuff like that and mm-hmm. their, their surrounding areas could be a big boost to their economies and just their, you know, bring people back and, and kind of uh, make them flourish again. Yeah. So are we going back to maybe the 30s or 40s? Because I was also raised on a farm and I remember my grandparents and my parents having backyard gardens and grandma and my mom doing a lot of pickling. Mm-hmm. But when the coal mines would be closed in the summertime because there wasn't a high demand for coal in, in people's homes, then a lot of those folks opened markets and sold by the roadside, which is what my grandfather did between Thompsonville and, and West Frankfurt. So are we going back to something like that where... Sure. Maybe a lot less backyard gardens. Yeah, but specialties. Well, I, I think there's. I think yeah. people are still doing the backyard gardens, and I yeah. think. I mean, the pandemic really reinforced people. You know, I can grow my own things. I can rely on myself. I don't have to worry about these chain supply issues. Um, so we've seen a big kind of boom since then yeah. as well. Um, we got very involved with the Stewardship Alliance after our first cottage food class, and just really learning it and you know they mm-hmm. they help small small farms and small businesses um so much so when this new round came up for revisions derek was one of the the key people helping write the revisions and to mm-hmm. to pass it on so awesome. now we can ship within the state mm-hmm. we can do fairs and festivals um i presented in front of the senate um, virtually to you know of the importance of this from the market manager side from a farmer side you know, from looking at food access side. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've gotten very involved with it. Um, mm-hmm. So much so that we actually have people kind of calling or emailing us almost daily with cottage food questions. Okay. But Let's talk about your products in your store, but then I also want to talk about how the store got started, why you made that decision mm-hmm. to have a storefront. So I've walked into your store and uh, Christmas shopping mm-hmm. and uh, was amazed at the flavors and the varieties of, so talk a little bit more about those products and mm-hmm. what, so we try to grow um, as much as we can and, you know, everything we grow, we make from that. Um, we've kind of found we're getting to the point we can't grow everything or, you know, we have to source outside. So we try supporting other local farms. Um, we do a lot of one of our main things we do is elderberry. So we do elderberry syrup and an elderberry drinking vinegar. Um you know, some of the things we do is kind of talking about looking at the past. We try to see what some things were done then because people will see our stuff and they're like, I remember picking honeysuckle with my grandma or making elderberry jelly. So kind of bringing back some of these things from the past. Yeah, we use a lot of uh, a lot of ingredients that just um, are just on the farm by themselves, you know, that don't take a lot of uh, nurturing Um the value-added side of the business takes up a lot of time, and it's just the two of us. So, um, it's it's 
we're early on we realized that if, if I can just go pick some honeysuckle or if I can go and harvest some hickory bark and make some syrup from that or harvest the sumac that grows on our property or the mulberry that's there early in the spring, like all of these things are just just sitting there waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that that kind of that kind of focused us in that direction and you know now we kind of we do more specialty stuff too like hot peppers and mm-hmm. uh, and then we have uh, you know the apples are now starting to come uh, uh, starting to actually fruit and the trees are maturing so it's been fun awesome so you have syrups you have salsas mm-hmm. we do salsa in the summer we do hot sauces kind of year round and that's one of Derek's um, pride and joy is his hot peppers trying to get the hottest thing he can yeah. um, we also have not super hot stuff um, we do shrub drinking vinegars which is a very unique thing um, yeah. when he told me he wanted those to do good. that I thought that was those are really just good. a crazy idea <laughs> yeah. nobody would buy it and then no, had but... some um, so those are good what is it it's a... it's a very old way of preserving fruit juice from the 1600s um, they would add a little bit of vinegar and a little bit of sugar um, and it sounds like, it sounds weird. It sounds like, oh man. I, and I always tell people, I was like, if it wasn't for samples, I don't think I would have ever sold one of them. But, <laughs> but they vinegar is popular for drinking and health. It is. Sure. And it's, these it's, taste yeah. delicious. Yeah, they they're taste very like good. a fruit they, juice. They, 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 they taste much better than you would think. And um, they're actually quite delicious. And we try to make all of our products where they can be used in multiple ways. So the vinegars, you know, you can put them in water, you can put them with cocktails, you can cook with them. They make good salad dressings. So everything kind of has a, you know, multiple ways to be used. I do see a curve and a return to um, putting more natural things in our body and mm-hmm. avoiding some of the preservatives and things that have come along. You know, I look at my my granny, who um, had 10 kids and probably never weighed over 150 in her life, she was baking bread, she was gardening, but more importantly, everything that went into her body pretty much was what we would now call clean eating yeah. for buzzwords. Opposed to processed foods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are starting to realize, you know, like, the how much of an effect that the, our microbiome in our in our digestive system has on our whole body and when you put a bunch of preservatives into that you're just destroying it um, and people do that all the time now and our ancestors didn't do that and they didn't have they don't they didn't have the problems that we're having now okay. so opportunity with the storefront did you think that this is where you were going to go, this is the direction, or did we, the opportunity come first? So we've been doing farmer's markets. We heard somebody say when they first came in over the holidays, like, wow, you guys are new. No, we've been around for like five years. Yeah. But we've been doing farmer's markets and events and things. Um, about a year, year and a half ago, we started to see the need. We needed a commercial kitchen. We needed to kind of start expanding. We were going to build something on our farm and realized it's going to be a lot of money. And even if we build it, it's kind of like field of dreams. Will they come? You know, we're in the middle of kind of nowhere. Um, so we knew we wanted to be in Marion, kind of looked around and just didn't see anything. And then just on a random Saturday, someone told us about this and it had just come back open. Um, it was probably six, six or eight months before we were ready. Mm-hmm. But um, just with everything going on around here with the revitalization mm-hmm. and downtown, 
um, we knew it was just, we could not pass it up. Yeah. And it had hardwood floors and exposed brick. Yeah. You know, we both looked at it and was like, this is our place. So historical building. I don't know how old it is. Do you guys? Uh, 1918. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't know all the information and history of it yet, but that's one thing we're, we're very interested in learning. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So are your customers different from what you see in the farmer's market or is there overlap with new opportunity? What does that look like? At this point, it seems like uh, there's a mix of both. You know, um, we don't get very many walk-ins at this point because we just started and I think we've got, we still have to get our sign up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of the people are, were people who have, uh, we, strangely enough, it seems like a lot of, we've, we have a lot of people who travel here maybe an hour or two away that don't come to don't are not near one of the farmers markets um, that now they know okay I can go there on a Thursday mm-hmm. um, and they're gonna be there and they'll come and, and kind of load up on stuff um, so that's been really that's been great it also helps around the holidays our stuff makes good gifts um, and we had just you know a lot of our, our regular supporters from the market and people we know, people that have found out about us buying um, gifts and we're starting to see kind of the return on that of people coming in. I was gifted this and it's amazing. And, um, you know, our stuff is very kind of unique and different than what you'll find in a a typical grocery store. I mean, you're not going to find anything sumac or honeysuckle. (laughs) Um, So uh, people kind of like that uniqueness. Mm. I think if there's one direction we might be moving towards, it's if we expand what we do, We'll be incorporating our products into those things, so that you can kind of get an idea. Oh, so I'm. This is a an iced tea that has uh, a fruit syrup mm-hmm. that um, in it, and one of our fruit syrups, and then you can take that idea and you can say, oh, well, I could. That's one way I could use this product that they make that sounds a little weird you know mm-hmm. uh, so just kind of showing people uh, what they can do with where do you products. get your ideas because it sounds like you're experimenting a lot yeah kind of everywhere um from internet late at night he uh, wakes me up with dreams i mean i, I lovingly refer to is him is he the creative one he's he's like a mad scientist okay. i mean there's jars and bubblers and things in our house that i have no idea what they are and it's kind of research and development. may or may not drink that right? yes yes, yes. research and development um but he really is the the creative yeah. driving force behind this coming up with the products with the names mm-hmm. and then of course he makes it so i'm the lucky one uh i get to be the taste tester and kind of benefit yeah. from it are you more business minded yes okay yeah. but background in business or yes i ran a, a caregiving agency in chicago for like elderly and disabled and hospice okay. so awesome. yeah logistics financials numbers planning organizing my strengths creativity and everything else is and then we both kind of do the farm work too yeah i think that's what has been a a big benefit to our business is that we're both um have different skill sets uh that are very that accompany each other well you know i think that's she's really good at what she does and then you know i'm i'm i get to experiment and play around and have fun Mm, that's good well, you guys are an awesome team and i love the balance um i think it's really special but um, is there anybody outside of you that is inspiring, influencing, mentoring anybody that has had a good impact on you? I mean, I think just overall the Food Works has for us because it really enabled us to get our start and continues to meet people that are doing creative things that are also doing the farming. Um, 
Yeah, I like, you know, personally, like, I, I like uh, looking into just people making interesting foods around the world. Um, there's uh, um, several people who are into wild crafting that do, uh, you know, fermented foods and, and things like that. Um, and there's a restaurant uh, in Scandinavia called Noma. Uh, I really love researching about what stuff that they do. Um, just trying to find interesting and unique ways of approaching food. Yeah. One of the things that um, intimidates people about packaged goods is the label. And I don't mean the pretty side. I mean mm-hmm. the side with the ingredients and uh, maybe a barcode. So mm-hmm. any tips to help somebody get over that fear or that hump? Or, or where where would they even start getting educated? Well, it, the good news is is that it, on smaller scales, the labeling restrictions uh, are are quite less. You know, it's pretty simple. Um, you can have a pretty simple design. I think in cottage food, um, you know, your most in, uh, prominent ingredient is first, and then it decreases from there. So it's pretty simple to to get that part of the labeling right. And then they want to know, and you have to label uh, which health department that you're a part of. Um, so it's pretty simple. And then when you grow, um, you have more resources. And so <laughs> you can kind of start, you know, do a little more. Uh, and that's what we're in the process of right now is, you know, doing a little more deeper dive into the, into like the more um, strenuous labeling that we will probably be a part of very soon. And I would say getting started for cottage food, the, the number one go-to resource is the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. And again, they've been instrumental with us. Um, they have the guide. They do trainings, information. Um, but then for us, it's also just been working with our health department. We've, you know, developed a good relationship with them. Um, I tell all the markets that I support um, around Southern Illinois, that's your best, you know, you want to be on good terms with them. They're going to be the ones that have the information you need. So That's interesting. I think people think of them as the bad guys. Like, they do. Like they're here to, they do. to get you, they not do. to help. And, so. you know, they're, they're just trying to, to make safe practices for everybody. Sure. Um, and to make sure everybody's doing what they need to be. So that's, again, why I can't stress enough of just having good communication and outreach with them. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to be in small town? Because you said Chicago is originally where you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we both lived there for about 20 years. And at that point, it was any chance we got, we were trying to get out of town to go hiking or fishing. And, oh. um, so then, you know, moving back down here, he has family here. Um you know, looking at everything we've done, how involved we've gotten, I don't think we would be in that position in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just on too big of a scale. Um, here, it's really just connected us to community and, yeah. um, you know, is really our home now. I can't imagine us doing anything else, which if I was in Chicago, I would not have said that, you know, that yeah. I would even imagine living down here. What do you think the advantages of having a business in a small town might be opposed to suburbs or some other area? Well, I mean, I think it, it just, it, it gives you, um, you, you can be a bigger fish in a small pond, I guess, yeah. there's a, that's a good way to say it. I mean, it gives you opportunities that you wouldn't have there. Um, there, it's, it's very tough. I, I know from trying to be in the music business in Chicago, you know, there's a hundred bands doing something similar that you're trying to do, and you're just... You're trying to compete more with people um, down here. Uh, you, you have more resources. You have um, 
it's easier to network in a way, I think, because then you kind of know who the people are and, and, and what they're doing. Um, and I just think, yeah, I think, I think I'm seeing a lot of people who moved away uh, to the city when they were young. I think they call that the brain drain um, that have lived in the city, maybe cut their teeth, maybe started a business or two, mm-hmm. um, grew up a little bit and decided, you know what? I think I might move back to where I went, I came from, yeah. you know, and are coming back and, and seeing, you know, even just being able to find a shop somewhere that's open, yeah. you know, to start your business and put your business in. If you're looking for a, br- yeah. a, a brick and mortar, you have those opportunities where in the city you wouldn't. I think it also allows people just to connect more to local. You know, mm-hmm. local really hits home a little bit more when you're in a smaller town versus a big city. Right. Awesome. So what do you want to tell us that we haven't asked you, or do you have advice for the audience? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing we were talking about just for kind of small businesses or to our younger self is if you have a, a passion or an interest, to follow it, see where it goes, you know. Um Again, I, I would have never thought, you know, I grew up on a farm when I was little and I would have never seen myself as a farmer, yeah. but I can't imagine anything different. Um, yeah. And I, we see that that's our true passion. So just following what your dreams are and, you know, see where it takes you. Yeah, I mean, I guess piggybacking off that, don't be too rigid. Uh, don't uh, don't look and say, hey, this is what I said I was going to do and I'm going to do it, which, you know, that works for some people, I guess, but... Um, Kind of what she said, I, I would have never imagined that I'd be a food producer uh, at, at my age. And I, you know, I had, all, I had a lot of other plans, you know, and the, this is what ended up happening. And I have to say I'm extremely happy with it, and, and uh, I really wouldn't have it any other way. So you're learning a lot about yourself and what you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's I, you awesome. know, I'm a creative person, and I, I never thought, oh, wow, you could be a creative person and make... Uh, jellies <laughs> you yeah. know but you can uh, yeah. and even just the running the you know the business you, there's creativity in that and in the marketing aspect of it uh the promotional stuff and all of that it has there's there's ways of using creativity and more than just painting a picture you know right and even though we've been doing this for going on our fifth year now and like you said you know our labels none of that started out looking that good um you know our marketing didn't stand start out looking that good so I think just education, continuous education has been helpful. Um, Foodworks does it. I know you guys do it here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the different classes and education things. Um, for us as a business, I, I see that continually being helpful for us as we grow because you can always learn something new. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to invite you to come back and teach a class or just talk about your experiences yeah. here at Ethos, one yeah. of our yeah. business development classes. That yeah. would be Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, because again, we you know we were in that situation five years ago for farm beginnings, and yeah. it's been very helpful. You know, I certainly want to thank you for having your business here in Southern Illinois, but also what you're doing in the way of advocacy and role making. I mean, it's so appreciated. And for me, you know, the cynical side of me always worries that those decisions are made on anecdotal information. So I am very much inspired and happy to hear that um, there is input from the people that are literally putting with their money and their their time. Yeah, it's. In, I mean, it's very interesting that we've really found that for good or bad, you know, we have a platform and, you know, we can we can speak on our experiences from being, you know, farmers to, to you know, running markets to doing this to doing that so and again you know 
we were here because other people before us talked about it and, you know, laid the way for us. So, Well, this was a great interview. You could always be podcasters for your, <laughs> your industry, too. If you, in our free time, yeah, maybe. That'd be awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Derek and Libby Irvin of yeah. Glacier's End here in Marion, Illinois. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank today. you so much. Yeah, we want to thank everyone who's been listening and watching uh, Small Town Big Business. And thank you to our sponsors, Arcadia Wealth Group, Black Diamond, Harley-Davidson, and RV. Fowler Heating and Cooling, Swinford Media Group, Watermark Auto Group Foundation, and Union Street Arts. Special thanks to Luke O'Neill, who makes us look and sound so good on these podcasts. And if you want to know more about Ethos and the services that we provide as a small business incubator, co-working spaces, training and development for small businesses like Glacier's End, you can contact me, Russell Williams, and I'm at russell at watermarkethos.org. That's my email, or you can find us on Facebook, We're at Ethos at the Citadel. And again, we're here on Tower Square Plaza in Marion, Illinois. And when it comes to our podcast, Small Town Big Business, we are on every platform that you could possibly use. Okay, maybe not, but most of the very popular ones you can find us. We're also on YouTube. And do us a favor. Don't just watch one or two. Hit subscribe so that you don't miss any of the content. And sometime when you have a few extra hours in your day, go back and watch all the ones to date. It's pretty amazing. I mean, one of the things about podcasts is consistency. And I think we're really proud that this podcast just continues to crank out new episodes. So hit subscribe. I'm Russell Williams. And I'm Jennifer Olson. 